Habits and Health, episode 61. Welcome to the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome to another edition of Habits and Health, the podcast where we help you with habits for to improve behaviour around certain areas of health that you'd like to improve. Today's guest, Nicola Singleton, she appeared on BBC One's Doctor in the House five years ago with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee and has gone from being housebound to recovering from ME, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. And we're going to discuss a lot more about that whole journey and how it was being on that show with Dr. Chatterjee and, and what she's up to now. So that's this week's episode. If you know anyone who would get some real value from this, maybe someone who is suffering from one of those issues, please do share the episode with them and I hope you enjoy this episode. Habits and Health, my guest today is Nicola Singleton. How are you, Nicola? Hi, I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. And where I know you're in England, obviously, but where in England are you? The Northwest. So where, whereabouts? Charlie. And is that where you come from? No, and I don't come from very far away. I primarily lived in Bolton right. most of my life, and then I moved into Harwich 20 years ago. Okay. And then last March, we moved into Charlie. Right. And and how do you find Chorley? Oh, I love it. Where yeah. I am, it's, 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 there's nice places to walk. There's lots of parks, um, lots of cafes, which I do enjoy. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a really nice place to be. And what, what would you, how would you describe what it is that you do, Nicola? What do you, how do you help people? What is it you do? Well, mainly I home educate. So that's my day-to-day thing now. We, we moved our youngest from school when he was seven. He's right. now 12. Um, I do sort of, um, you know, I do run a Facebook group called To Be A Better Me, which really is just sharing um, with other people what helped me to get well from chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. Right. Um, but yeah, day-to-day, I'm just a, I'm just a mum and I help out at rugby and I'm a parent governor of a college and that keeps me busy. And so you, you touched upon just now about helping people with, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome and, and, and so on. So when, how did that come about? How, what was, what's your journey behind? So I, I gather you had both of those syndromes however many years ago. So how did you, how did that all happen? Really quite by chance, I'd been ill from the moment I found out I was pregnant with Zachary, um, who is now 12. It was just almost like from the moment I found out I was pregnant, I just never hook up. Um, it took two years from him being born to sort of be diagnosed with chronic fatigue because I first thought it was thyroid. and I do have a thyroid issue, but it became much more than just, not just a thyroid issue, but it became more than that. Um, and then that was really, I think all the way through my 30s, I kept saying I was retired. It felt like I was retired because I wasn't really capable of looking after my children because exhaustion had really set in at that point. And then one day I saw an email because my middle boy, who's now 18, he was very temporarily in a modelling agency. So an email came through, um, sort of, which mentioned a TV programme called Doctor in the House. And I think for me at the time, I was walking up to where I lived at that point and it was up a steep hill and it was really, really difficult for me to even get home. So I paused just to kind of get a breather. 
and I'd read the email and it was just it was and I thought it was the prospect of having a doctor to come into my house to actually you know listen to what had been going sort of wrong and I knew I think I knew deep down inside that life had to be better than how I was living it and I just didn't know how so it wasn't so much the prospect of being on tv it was more of actually having a doctor to spend actual some quality time with me too and not just the 10 minutes that you usually get if you're lucky um and then from there we was interviewed by the tv company and they did like a mock situation so they come to your house with the cameras and see if we can follow instructions and such and i've also it was my middle boy who swung that for us because he came out with a totally inappropriate joke but that had everyone laughing and then from there we were chosen to appear on Doctor in the House. And for those, I mean, we have quite a few listeners in, in other countries, in, in the States and many other countries. So that, if I remember, wasn't that on BBC? Was that It was on it? BBC One, but it has been aired in, gosh, I think about at least 50 countries worldwide. And, and for those who aren't familiar, who have never heard about the programme, could you explain more about the, the concept and how it all works? Yes, Doctor in the House um, and the second series, which differed slightly from the first series, it compared kind of two families over a series of four weeks where there were sort of commonalities. So in my situation, it was fatigue. Um, and basically, the doctor comes into your house, spends a lot of time with you and tries to improve your health. And it's just that's recorded over a period of about six to seven weeks to see whether getting to the root cause of the problem could have a, obviously a positive impact, you know, with your health further down the line. I was a very difficult customer. <laughs> well, and, and also the, the, well, the doctor in, in question is many of our listeners, even if they're not familiar with that program, they'll have probably heard the name of the doctor because he's pretty well known now with all the books he's written and the podcasts that he releases. It's Doc, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, isn't it? It is Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. And did, so did you... Were you familiar with him before the TV, before he actually, you know, you were in this TV show? No, not at all. I did Google him once I'd been accepted the TV programme. So I kind of had an inkling, but I didn't know what functional medicine was. And I I certainly didn't know what lifestyle medicine was. Right. It was all through meeting him and sort of listening to what he was saying. I kind of began to understand what he was about. And so how was the experience? It was, oh my gosh, it was the most toughest and exciting and nerve-wracking and scary time ever but I would relive it over and over again because it it's not often you get the chance to really be pushed out your comfort zone and really examine yourself as well and he taught me so much in that short space of time that I didn't always understand or appreciate at that time Um, but he's yeah he's a lovely guy and what so I get the impression from what you're saying, you were the main focus to, to he was trying to help or were there yes. other people in the house who also had issues that he was trying to help as well? It was mainly me. Right. Um, but it was, it was more, it was more focused on me. There was my eldest son too, as I'm directing thyroid, so he was looking at helping him with that. Um, but it was mainly really just to try and improve my health. And with every episode he did, it usually focused on one or two members of the family Right. And did your thinking around the whole, so was the, was the main issue, was it the chronic fatigue syndrome? How 
your thoughts about that at the beginning before he came and lived with you and, and after he left you how how different were you, was your thinking around that whole thing to be fair it took a long time to really understand more because I'd had obviously the exhaustion that comes with chronic fatigue and then I had fibromyalgia which is very very painful right but on top of that I had anxiety and depression and a whole host of things that had been going wrong for a long period of time the when by the time Rongan left, which was about seven weeks into it, the fibromyalgia had gone, right. which was phenomenal in itself um, because I had a gut issue, which was that he diagnosed and then treated. But I didn't really feel the benefit of that until the fatigue lifted. And actually when he left, the fatigue was much more, it was much worse. Right. So it took time. But in effect, what he did, he, he created, I was he created like a little snowball that then, you know, got bigger and bigger and bigger all the time to right. full recovery. So, but it was obviously, it wasn't immediate. The fibromyalgia thing was great. Right. But as daft as it sounds, looking back at that time, I didn't really appreciate being pain free right. because the exhaustion was worse. But I think that's just because my body had been going through such an upheaval. Right. And so how, just, how much longer did it take after, after he was no longer involved? How much longer? I think for the fatigue to go, I think I knew, I knew I was fully recovered by the August. So they came and filmed in September, October. Um, the fibromyalgia had gone within, must have been within the first four or five weeks. Because right. almost like it disappeared overnight. Um, and then after that, the exhaustion was still there. But then I started to look at the more lifestyle medicine approaches of meditation and the breathing techniques and to be less stressed and... So I think I realised by August because, as you know, as we just mentioned, I live in the northwest of England. We went watching a musical that was in London, right. and we decided to go on the bus because there was five of us. It was cheaper, and it was a twenty-four hour trip. Right. And I thought coming back, I'd, I'd really pay for it. I haven't paid back with the chronic fatigue, right. and actually, I was no worse than anybody else in my family. Right. And I think it's really at that point I thought, right. oh, you know, I, I don't feel any worse than anybody else. Right. So that was that was a timeline. And has it stayed like that since then? I mean, how how do you feel now? Yeah, I don't have any fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue symptoms that and stop yet, me from living day to day. And yet, aren't people often told that when you have some of those conditions, that's it, you have them forever? Yes, which I find so frustrating. But yes. So, um, and so, all the different lifestyle changes he helped you with you know you mentioned the breathing and the meditation and and so on were were there any of them those that you found the most difficult to to change oh good question i'm trying to i think really it was learning to be kinder to myself as daft as that may sound right i was always a perfectionist i have very high standards i still have high standards right um, but i didn't like myself and i think I didn't look after myself because I really didn't value me. Right. So I think the biggest thing really was learning that, you know, comparison really is the thief of joy, is, you right. know, is the saying goes. And I, I realised, you know, it's I didn't need to keep comparing myself. And it was about learning how to let go of things that I found stressful, not right. always holding on to it, you know, not bearing grudges and things like that. So I think really it was more learning how to relax and relax, relaxing well. Because I thought right. I'd been relaxing for years on the couch when, even when I had the chronic fatigue. 
but actually I wasn't. I was lying there, but I wasn't actually resting. So I think the biggest takeoff for me was learning how to relax and learning how to deal with stress better than how I'd been. Good. I'd love to dig into that a bit more, what you just said about you thought you were relaxing when you were just lying on the sofa, but that wasn't really... Um, it wasn't the same thing as what, what he taught you. So could, could you expand on that? What, what does that mean? What, why was it that you weren't relaxing when you were lying on the sofa? Because lying on the sofa didn't stop me from feeling guilt right. that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't be a decent mum at that point. Um, you know, my, my youngest was two. And luckily I had a friend who was also a childminder, so she helped out a lot. But I wasn't actually capable of looking after him. Right. You know, I wasn't really capable of doing much at all. So I would be lying on the couch but feeling guilty because obviously my husband was in at work and he'd do a really long day at work and then come home and have to do everything at night as well, right. you know, including, you know, he'd always have to get up during the night when Zachary was born right. and he'd be feeding, for example. So you can be lying on the couch and you can out with a look as if you're resting, but inside I think the guilt was just huge. Right. And, and so when he was teaching you the meditation and the self-compassion and so on, did you find it quite easy to adapt to, to doing those things or was it quite foreign? Absolutely not. We went to an amazing place actually in Manchester, a breathworks place, and it, it just totally freaked me out because it was so alien doing an ineffective guided meditation. Right. I don't like closing my eyes in front of people for some weird reason. I can't even explain. To this day, I still don't like that. Um, and I just, I was like, how? And it was promoted as so. Sort of, it would help fibromyalgia and I just couldn't figure that out and if it doesn't make sense to me I straight away put a block in front of it mentally right so no meditation did not come naturally right and and when you was it was meditation the only type of breath work you were doing or were you doing other types of breath work as well no it was mainly just you know outward like your outward breath being longer than your inward breath that was it and so I didn't do long, any different techniques how long do you think it took you to really um, feel like you were, you were accomplishing something that it was really helping you? Well, I was sent to um, the Optimal Health Clinic in London. Right. Um, and again, it was, a, obviously, it was, it was I don't know if you've heard of the Optimal Health Clinic, but it is, it is there for um, chronic fatigue and things like, you know, they are specialists. And I remember going, I had all these expectations, that this is, you know, this is the place to be. Um, but it one thing they taught me is they, they taught me why it was important to meditate, whereas I hadn't really understood that before. Because obviously the the negative side of having a camera there is you're on a very strict criteria in terms of time. Hmm. So we were trying to, you know, and I didn't always see wrong and it wasn't there every time that filming took place. Right. So it was like, look, this is what we're doing, but not always why. Right. So I didn't understand why we was going, doing some breath work at that point. And also, to be fair, I was still drugged up at that point on medication, so it could have explained it, but that didn't sink in at that point. Right. You know, so it's just, it was only when I went to the optimal health clinic, and that was in the April, um, so I kind of then understood why meditations were important, and then I thought, what have I got to lose? Right. It sounds like from what you just described, that some of that process of them actually filming you was stressful in itself. Oh, yes. And I don't regret it, obviously. And they were really respectful. There, was, there were things I said I, I do not want to be shown right. on TV, and they were very respectful of that. Right. 
Right. Um, you know, so it's not critical of them being there. But obviously it is pressured because you're aware that there's a camera there. Yeah, of course, yeah. So what now for people listening who maybe you know we might have some people listening who do have chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia etc what would you say to them why is it that meditation is so helpful I think it's one part of a whole thing a whole packet well I'm trying to get the words right a whole spectrum of things that you can try right um, and I think for me what helped me is I didn't realize that my body had been constantly stuck in the fight or flight mode so my ANS, my ANS was always risen. Now, I didn't understand that at that time, but right. that had been that way for about 20 years. So what breathing did for me was to actually make me realise that my body was always tense. Right. So it taught me how to actually relax my body. Right. And I think, you know, your body, from everything that I've learned, mm. is your body cannot heal or even begin to heal if it's still really, really stressed. Right. So I think it's vital that people learn how to relax themselves in whatever way you know they can. Yeah. To even then begin to do everything else to help your body to heal, potentially, or at least potentially heal. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you are looking for deep support to create the health and life you want, we invite you to consider one-on-one coaching sessions with Tony. Coaching sessions give you personalised guidance to fit your unique goals and life situation. Only a limited number of spots are available, but you can easily get started by booking a free introductory call at tonywinyard.com. Now back to the show. Yeah. Do you think that's an area that people who do have those conditions struggle with to to take on something like meditation and, and breath work? Quite possibly. I mean, I was really dismissive of it when I was ill. Because you have all these symptoms and all these, you know, issues. You think, why would breathing make a difference? It's just right. breathing. You know, without understanding the, you know, the philosophy behind it and how powerful breathing actually is. Yeah. You know, it's, so I think it's, and also it's kind of, when you are exhausted, it almost feels like it's something else to do. Right. And you've got enough to do just trying to get through day by day. Right. So I think sometimes your own, and certainly in my situation, my own mental attitude towards it, was quite dismissive right and you mentioned you mentioned about how important the self-compassion was for helping you look at that differently and was that was that difficult to to get over the 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 negative self-talk how how long did that take um i think it took about six months for me to begin to understand you know what is the purpose of feeling so negative about yourself and what does it actually achieve? Right. You know, the more clearer thought that I got, you know, it took, because obviously initially I was withdrawing from medication and things like that, so it took it did take a while. So, yeah, it took about, I think, about six to eight months right. to sort of understand that more. And I would imagine that that probably eliminating that negative self-talk has given you a completely different perspective on life in general. Yeah. So, I mean, how has that changed your life? Well, it's it's so difficult to. I think, I think really, in essence, I just value myself more. Right. You know, it's I don't work, and if you think the majority of people, the first thing they always say is, "Oh, what do you do?" Right. You know, everything's. You know, what do you do usually means what's your work. You yeah. know, um, you're defined by the job you do. Mm. 
and I don't work. I raise right. my family and I am educate. Yeah. Um, and I'm proud of that. You know, I've, you know, before I would look at sort of my friends who have professional jobs, my husband has a professional job, and I'd feel so inadequate. But now, I, frankly, I really don't care. And I but think you, it, that's freeing. But, you, but you're also an inspiration for many people with your Facebook group because it was, it was one person from your Facebook group who suggested that I speak to you in the first place because of, she said, Nicola is so helpful. Like this, this particular person has um, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. And she was saying about how helpful you are and how inspirational you are. And that was one of the reasons I reached out to you in the first place. I was really flattered, actually. And I did, I did mention that in my, um, in my group. So the lady came forward and I was just, all along, my whole thing was, if I got help, I wanted to be able to pay that forward. Right. And if I could just help one more person, right. then that would really make me feel good. Right. And when I realised, you know, because she commented that it was her, and I was just incredibly touched that just sharing my experience has helped someone else. I am not an inspiration. I, I, I must admit, I do hate that word, the passion. Um, there is nothing inspirational about me in you know in that way. It's just I got lucky and I'm stubborn, and I think being lucky, getting you know having a bit of luck, and then putting a, a ton of work in because it did take work and still takes work. And I'm not perfect. I hate for anyone to think, oh yes, I have it all sussed because I really don't, um, and I do make mistakes quite frequently. But it's learning from those, and it it is you know cushioning yourself with that compassion. So yeah, it was that just really touched me. It's like that, the fact that that lady, you know, spoke to you and then you reached out to me. It was incredibly flattering. But it also shows how helpful so many people are finding what you do and and the, the suggestions and the and the example that you're setting to so many people. They are it is helping people clearly. I wanted to create a safe space because one thing that happened with me um, after doing the you know, the programme Doctor in the House, is I got a ton of criticism because people, and I understand it to a point, and Rangan was way more compassionate about the people who gave me a bad time than I am, to be fair. Um, you know, when I was ill and I used to hear about recovery stories, I just didn't read them because I wasn't in that place to read them. Right. But I never negated them and I never doubted them. I never questioned them because it wasn't my story to do that with. Right. Um, but every time I tried to reach out, and after the show, before I started my own Facebook group, right. to say, look, there are things that you can do to try and help yourself. In effect, I was called a charlatan and I was trying to sell something. And I've, I've never tried to sell anything. You know, right. this lifestyle medicine is freely given. It's not it's not something you pay for. Right. Um, but people didn't understand that. And as much as I tried to reach out and say, look, you know, you can be helped. There's things you could try. And it may not work. It might work. So I got, to be honest, I got fed up of being criticised and told that I must have never have been in the first place because at that time, in the place I was in, I found that to be really, really hurtful because I knew I'd been ill. I didn't need somebody else to tell me that, I, you know, I mustn't have been ill. And it not only does it negate my experience, it also negates my entire family's experience. And obviously my illness didn't just affect me. Hmm. So really, the, it was my husband who set up the To Be A Better Me group. Right. Because I wanted a safe space where, you know, my whole focus in that group is recovery. Right. So it's not about um, talking about how you feel on a day-to-day basis. Because everybody in that group knows how 
who it is on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. But they can reach out if they're having a particularly tough time. Mm. But it's more about sharing things that have helped them, you know, from a lifestyle medicine perspective. Mm. So I've tried to, and I work really hard actually to try and keep it a safe space and a, you know, a fun space. We do, you know, we do like it to be fun as well. Right. But it's just... You know, I don't want people to, because again, I don't know whether you're aware, but even in the, you know, chronic fatigue community, if you're, it's like there's two separate groups. You've got the severe and you've got the mild and the severe are always saying, well, at least you can do such and such thing to the mild group. And then the mild group is saying, well, you're bed bound, so you don't have to worry about doing anything else because you can't do anything else. But actually each, each place on that spectrum you are of the chronic fatigue has its own limitations. Mm. So in my group, there's never a one-upmanship. If you're mild or classed as mild and you can still work, but you're still struggling, you're mm. as welcome as somebody who's bed-bound. Right. You know, and it's just about sharing those experiences and trying to sort of help each other without feeling like, well, I'm, I'm worse than you. Because some people like to wear their illnesses like a, a badge of honour and yeah. I hate all that. So that's not allowed in my group. So how many people are in the group? Uh, 1600 plus now wow so it's it's not a huge group but it's there's only me used admin at the moment with a lovely guy he's also he's he's brilliant he helps me so it's it does keep me busy but i enjoy it it's it can be tough as well sometimes because you're always reminded of you know the illness yeah but i do i do you know some of these people become friends right and i genuinely care about them and yeah you know i'm not as involved as much as i, I wish i could be I think after five years, I keep saying the same things, but then they'll say, well, remind us, it's fine. And, and I imagine over the the, that, the five years that you've had that group, there's probably been quite a few success stories in the group. People have really like improved themselves. I think so, yeah. Because what tends to happen is those who are doing well then go quiet. Right. Which is good because they're getting on with their lives. Right. And that's, you know, that's how it should be. They, you know, they, they're getting on with their lives. Yeah. Um, I know people have improved. I know some people haven't, right. you know, and it's, but it's, I think just being aware of all the things you can do to help yourself with whatever success that may bring, yeah. you know, is better than having nothing. Yeah, yeah. You, you said, you mentioned before when you were talking about the negative, you know, the criticism you were receiving and the way you worded it was it, 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 it used to hurt you as if it now maybe do you look at it differently and it doesn't hurt you so much now? It doesn't hurt me now. Right. It's, I just, it sounds awful, but I really don't care. Right. You know, about what other people, strangers think in terms of whether I was ill or not. You know, it's, I can't control what they're thinking. Right. Um, it's all it's meant is, and I think it is a shame, is you just stop reaching out. So I have, I've stopped reaching out. The The main fibromyalgia group on Facebook, I don't know if I to say that particularly, but they were really, really mean and it, it was really quite cruel and that was allowed and I just thought, you know, no, I don't need that. I didn't appreciate that at the time. But now it's like I said, you know, I do feel for people. I know how it feels to have fibromyalgia. I still remember it, mm-hmm. you know, and I do have all the sympathy and empathy in the world for what we're going through, but there's no need for meanness. But also it shows how far you've come with your own self-compassion, that that no longer, you you don't allow it to get to you probably the way you would have a few years ago. Before I used to feel like I had to justify it. Right. 
But now I don't feel like I need to justify anything. Right. You know, I'm not trying to label myself as somebody who's amazing and, you know, I've got it all sussed and I'm great and that's not what I'm about. Hmm. You know, so they can think what they like. I'm, you know, I'm enjoying life. I'm lucky. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. And so for people listening again who who maybe are afflicted with these conditions, and... from what I understand, there's 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 no one treatment to to, to solve these things, and it, there's so many different things to um, that affect it, that, that contribute to it as well. And so every person has will have a different treatment plan, I, I presume. Absolutely, and I think you know it's very difficult as well because it's really it's trying to find out what that root cause is. Right. So for me, it was a gut issue, and it was chronic stress. Right. For some people, it could be more dietary. Um, for some people, it could be something else going on. You know, right. there's, but you know, the things that you promote, obviously, in your podcast and what you talk about are the same things that can help everybody. I think, you know, looking at, you know, because obviously Roman's books are one that I know the most, the four pillar plan, looking at how, you know, what you're eating, how you sleep, how you move, and how you rest. Hmm. I think no matter where you're at, if you can sort of look at those four areas, Right. You can help yourself to whatever extent, you know, and that's really what, you know, I think is really good about lifestyle medicine. Hmm. So when people first come into the group, are they, I'm just wondering, is it is it ever a situation where they do believe that by joining your group, they're going to all their, everything is going to be right. They're going to find out all the information that, yeah. But do they all, do they, are there some people that don't realize that it is different for every single person that joins or every single person that has that condition? Well, I think what the group has done is I think it gives hope to people. There's a lady who's just joined very recently and she said for the first time in two years, she feels like she has permission to rest. Right. You know, I like I said, I don't ever set the group up so that I know all the answers because I really don't know all the answers. Hmm. But I am a strong believer and I'm passionate about lifestyle medicine. So, you know, I do talk about that often in the way that we can all try and help ourselves. But that lady, you know, she'd been going to the doctors and she'd been really struggling and she'd been told to exercise. And although I'm not at all negative about exercising, you know, I do enjoy it myself. And I did, I did try to do it when I was ill. Sometimes, actually, your body can't cope with that, and it does need a rest. Mm. But that isn't promoted. Right. So this lady was trying to do the exercise that she was advised by the GP. She right. also used to walk a lot, you know, and but she found that she was walking. She, she found that her, her mobility was actually decreasing right. by exercising, which is exactly what happened with me. Right. So she read some of the things that were in the group, and she said, you've actually given me some hope that for the first time in two years, because she'd, she'd only been diagnosed, not only, but they'd been diagnosed two years ago. Right. And it's things like that that I think I don't really think of, but actually for her, just being in the group, and she's very flattering with the group, and it's it's nice because that's what it's there for. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, so I think, I'd like to think it's, you know, it's, it's people don't think, oh, they join the group and they have all the answers, but maybe they can, they can read something that they'd never thought of before and can try. Right. So with all your, the experience you've gained over the last five years and, and getting yourself through those conditions as well. Can you ever see yourself doing something like writing a book yourself? 
Oh, well, my husband keeps saying I should do, but I think it'd be the most boring book on the planet. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not very exciting. So it's just, but I think there's a need out there for, you know, a book about sort of the, you know, I suppose something like similar to my story. Yeah. But I just, it always seems very, it makes me feel very, I'm squirming. It makes me I feel could... very uncomfortable. I can see um, you physically squirming, literally. I can say, as soon as I asked you the question, yeah. like, your body language. But you're, I mean, you're putting yourself down in a way, but your experience is so unusual, maybe, because you're not coming at it from a doctor's perspective. You had that fortune to be treated with, a, you know, one of the best doctors in the UK for a period of weeks. But also, not only did you get through it yourself, but the amount of people that you've helped in the last five years, you've got such a different story to most people on earth. I, I think the book will be far better than you are kind of, you know, what you're portraying. Well, that's really nice to hear. I suppose I don't really, you take the grief for granted, don't you? I'm there, it's what I do. So it's not something that I think of from that perspective. Hmm. Um, but like I said, for me, it was always a passion. I always thought, you know, if I was lucky enough to get some help, mm. then I know what it feels like because I didn't know anyone when I was ill. And mm. that was isolating in itself. And then usually a family, you know, if you're lucky, you may have a couple of people who understand. And mm. I was lucky because my husband understood. But like my dad, for example, he just thought I was bored. He thought I needed a job. He had no concept that I wasn't able to work at that point. Some of you those know, things so- that you've just said, Nicola, are the reason you need to write the book because so many people... <laughs> don't understand it and and there are so many people who don't know where to turn they're the reasons why you do need to write the book i think okay food for thought definitely <laughs> <laughs> well on the we're, let's stay on the subject of books i mean there's a question i always ask all my guests is and i know that you're you know we were discussing this before we started recording and you're you love books generally so is there a book or maybe a couple of books that come to mind that have really moved you for any reason at any any time in your life can you think of i think about when i was at uni so a very long time ago now um i used to love it i can't remember the full name it was Gab- gabriel garcia marquez okay. i think it was the host of the spirits the host is it host of the spirits i can't remember but it was very different to everything anything else that i'd read and it was about magical realism so i think that one has stuck in my mind albeit quite vague no i need to read it again but I just, I've always loved the classics. I've always loved the Bronte sisters. Right. And I've always loved, you know, you can't beat a good romance story. <laughs> Although in my house with four fellas, it's like, like, really, mum? Really? <laughs> um, but like for now, for example, I'm rereading Alice in Wonderland, right. you know, my 12 year old, because we were made. And it's, it's, I mean, I love that. And some of the sayings, you know, the quotes in there, like, we're all mad here. And I think, you know, all the best people are. I think it's just fab. So it's it's kind of nice with him because we're learning. I'm re sort of refamiliarizing myself with, you know, some really good books. But right. so yeah, not one in particular really, other than that the you know the, the magical realism one was very different to what I'd read. Right. But I think I, I do. I, I love books and I love you know I, I have bath. I always call. I like to read in the bath, so I always have my bathroom reading, and then I've got a nice bookcase with the ones that you know look good, but I've not read in a long time. <laughs> So, Nicola, if people want to find out more about you, your social media, if someone wants to join your group, so where where would they look? Really, it's just on Facebook, and it's called To Be A Better Me, okay. which is obviously a play on words of ME chronic fatigue. So it's, I, 
I keep a very low profile health way. Right. I'm quite old fashioned. I need to get more modern, but for now it's just Facebook. And to, to finish, is there, do you have a quotation that you particularly like? There's a few. And it was actually the one that was in um, my kitchen, which when Dr. Chatterjee came in, the TV program came in, it was like on the back wall. And that one, I've got it in front of me so I can remember it correctly. And it was just um, like, life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. Right. And I think when I was ill, that was, it really resonated with me. You know, that particular quote, I think there's always going to be things that happen. There's always going to be stressful events. There's always going to be something. But life is beautiful. And I think we can get so bogged down in the misery of some of the things that are going on that we forget that. So that quote for me kind of said, well, yeah, things might be not great. You know, because my health hasn't been linear the whole way through going up. There's been other issues that have gone in between, Mm. you know, um, and it's taken a lot of perseverance. But I just think that quote particularly is just, I'm a massive fan of. And then the other way is, I'm a huge fan of Pink. You know, the the singer Pink, I absolutely love her. And she has... There's two things there, and one of them is like the definition of stupid is wasting your opportunity to be yourself, because I think everybody has a, a uniqueness and everybody is good at something. And I think for me now, it's I have stopped comparing myself to other people, mm. and I'm happy with who I am, and I'm not always trying to strive to be better than what I am, you know, to do more or whatever. It's I'm really content. You know, and I think that's made a massive difference to how I look at things. Mm. And then the other one is, you know, I'm learning to be brave in my beautiful mistakes, which is from a song, Crystal Ball. Because, um, again, you know, life is about making mistakes. But I think the difference is, is you, you know, if you can learn from those mistakes rather than repeating the same mistakes and not getting anywhere, mm. there's so much value to that. Mm. You know, and it's so I like those are the ones that really resonate with me. Well, Nicola, it's been a real pleasure. So thank you for, for the last sort of half an hour or just over 35 minutes. It's been a, a real pleasure. And, and I think a, a lot of people are going to really, really benefit from this episode. So, so thank you. Thank you for the invite. I was very touched. Thank you. Next week is episode 62. And it is with a guy called Arta Tanielian. That's a name that's not easy to roll off the tongue. Arthur is he's a breathwork instructor in and he's been he's an instructor in a few different breathing methods so there's there's a method called a buteco method the oxygen advantage vim hof who many people are familiar with breathology and he's combined the knowledge that he's gained from all these different breathing um, methodologies and there's a couple of others that he does as well and he helps people and depending on what problems the people that he's working with have he uses aspects of these different breathing method- methodologies to help the clients that he's working with. He's um he's based in Switzerland. It's a, it's a fascinating conversation. So that's next uh, next week's episode with Arta Tenayelian, which, as I said, is not the easiest name to pronounce. If you know anyone who gets some value from the information that Nicola shared with us, anyone who's got ME or chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, fibromyalgia, please do share the episode with them. And I hope you have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.
Sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at tonywinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.
Next week, episode 61 with Nicola Singleton. Nicola appeared on BBC One's Doctor in the House five years ago with Dr Rangan Chatterjee and has gone from being housebound to recovered from ME, CFS and fibromyalgia. And she's going to begin to talk about the journey she went through during that recording of the episode, how um, Rangan Chatterjee was able to help her and what's happened since then. It's a very interesting story. So that's next week, episode 61 with Nicola Singleton. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please do share this with someone who would get some more value from it. And I hope you have a great week.